Hello, you're listening to the HRD Live podcast. This conversation with Frida Polly, PhD, CEO and co-founder of Pymetrics, was recorded remotely from our homes on June 18th, 2020, during the coronavirus lockdown. And as a result, the audio quality may fluctuate slightly from time to time. It was a fascinating conversation about the power of AI in making the new normal a better working world for everyone. Enjoy the podcast. Frida Polly, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Michael. Excited to be here. So uh, first of all, um, how's everything going? Um, uh, you know, how, how have you seen businesses responding to, to, to the COVID uh, pandemic so far? And then what's your general uh, response been like? How have you found the whole experience? Yeah, I mean, I think that businesses have been responding um, fairly consistently in, uh, you know, their desire to, on the one hand, uh, potentially freeze hiring or cut hiring. Um, although obviously we have clients that are, you know, in healthcare or something else where they're actually increasing hiring, but they're the minority. Um, and yet at the same time, needing to adapt to this new environment with the people that they have and therefore being very interested in internal mobility, which is another thing that, you know, Pymetrics can help with. So we see a shift um, towards internal resources, but then really making sure that those internal resources are, are well deployed. So, and I think we're kind of in the same boat. You know, we've had to um, shift a lot of the things that we do internally um, mm. with with the same people. So, we find ourselves very uh, aligned with the situation that our clients find themselves in. That's great. I mean, yeah, as, as you're, I think it's fairly consistent overall, the responses, but I think there are definitely some businesses seem equipped to respond really well in some ways, and then some businesses perhaps struggling in other aspects. But um, what, one thing that I know that's really important to you is the subject of bias and how that affects different parts of, uh, I mean, the entire journey of talent through business, uh, no matter where that is in the world right now. But in the, in the current situation, how do you see uh, bias perhaps coming more to the fore or, or how can businesses, how ought they to respond to it in the current climate and how can certain tools help us to do that? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that what we have seen um, across all businesses, obviously with social distancing um, or physical distancing is an, is an increased reliance on digital, digital tools, right? So digital inter- interviewing, which we offer um, assessment, uh, online assessment, which we also offer and so on, right? And we've seen this across many different uh, you know, types of clients that per- perhaps previously had been more interested in, in doing things in person and, and physically. So as we move to a situation where more and more people are thinking about interviewing online, assessing people ahead of time online and so on and so forth through digital means, including AI-based tools, I think the issue of bias becomes even more central, right? Because again, mm-hmm. we've had the open discussion, I think, as a society whereby there's been ample evidence that if you start using artificial intelligence, um, you are very likely, unless you are doing some very specific things, to replicate the biases that you see in in non-AI situations. So what that means is your recruiting process has bias in it, which unfortunately many do, and then you use AI to replicate that, you're just going to replicate it. And the bad thing is that it's far more scalable um, to do it through an AI mechanism. So I think that as digital tools and AI tools are becoming more and more central to the recruiting process, I think that this concern around bias needs to really come to the forefront. And I say that because, you know, a lot of folks might think, oh, well, 
I'm using an AI tool. An AI tool is objective, right? It's not subjective. I'm taking out the subjectivity of my recruiter. Therefore, it must be neutral. And unfortunately, we still see a lot of that in the market where people don't fully understand that, hey, you know, just because it's an AI tool doesn't mean it's neutral. It could actually have all of the biases that your previous process had. That's one sort of piece that we see. And then the other sort of camp are people that think, oh my gosh, there's no way AI could be unbiased. And so I'm not even going to consider AI. I'm going to consider um, keeping my old processes in place, even though um, they might be biased as well. So I think that we have to educate the field to say algorithms are not objective by nature and they can very well be biased. However, not all algorithms have to be biased. In fact, they can help to reduce bias. So you shouldn't just categorically think of AI as a tool that will make things worse. There's really just a lot of middle ground and it's helping people understand that that middle ground of an algorithm that can actually mitigate bias, which of course is what we do, um, is a possibility. Does that make sense? Of course. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, long, um... <laughs> like, you know, it's very interesting to see these two camps of sort of indiscriminate algorithm use is the one, 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 one camp and then sort of complete avoidance of AI because, oh my goodness, it must be doing bad things. And it's like, no, actually there's a big, big space in the middle that we're not really fully exploring and understanding that it has a real place in the hiring process. So, Of course. So, so there's this middle ground. There's this great middle ground that, that, that can be occupied. But what is the process then of getting from one of these great extremes to the other? Say, for example, if you are in this position where this, this AI is being fed information, which is just kind of creating this cycle of, of, of bias, whatever that might be, how on earth do you get to a position where you have this, this control? It's magic. It's magic. No, I'm joking. <laughs> a lot of people think of it as, oh, gosh, magic AI or, or devilish AI. So there are two things that you can do, really. So one is um, the, the basic idea is basically that an algorithm is an equation, and an equation can be looked at and picked apart and fixed. You cannot do that. I'm a cognitive scientist by training. It's very impossible to pick the human apart and pick out the part that's creating bias and say, I don't like this, I'm gonna take it out. You can actually do that with an algorithm, right? Um, so what you need to do, um, that you would need to do in a human process, but is much easier to do in an AI process are two things. One, you have to say, are the data that I'm looking at biased, right? So that's the first step. If you have a lot of biased data, it's gonna be almost impossible to come out with an algorithm that's unbiased. And let's just take the resume as an example. The resume, unfortunately, has a tremendous amount of biased data or what are called proxy variables. A lot of times people will say, well, why don't you just remove the name of the person, right? If that's causing the bias, just instead of saying Michael Frieda, just say candidate A and candidate B. The problem is Michael and Frieda go to different universities. They play different sports. They engage in different activities. And so even if you remove one variable from a resume, there are lots of other variables that can introduce a bias. So the first thing you need to do is make sure that your actual data sources are unbiased, which is hard to do, but that's one of the things that Pymetrics, because we use aptitude data around social, emotional, and cognitive aptitudes um, can do. And then the second thing, that's not enough, that's a good starting point, but that's not enough. The second thing you need to do is once you've built an algorithm and you say, okay, I've got this algorithm, it's recommending people, you have to audit it. And it's quite simple. You basically have to take a reference group of people and say, is this algorithm recommending an equal amount of men and women, an equal amount of different ethnic uh, groups? 
And if the answer is no, you have to go back and to the point of you can look at an algorithm and say, here are the different variables that are in it, here's the one that's potentially problematic, and then you have to essentially de-weight or remove that variable and then rebuild the algorithm. So it's those two processes that allow you to get from a situation of potential fear or concern around bias to an algorithm that you can actually prove through an audit process is unbiased. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think that there's too mathy <laughs> no, 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 never too mathy okay. somebody like me who just has no aptitude or whatever you explain it very well I'm glad. <laughs> Thank you. no science brain over here but um okay so we have these different processes that can, can clean up uh, to yep. some extent that, that ai and, and help it to probably to move forward got it is that you can't clean the human brain you just can't i mean again yeah. and there's lots of data on this i mean there's meta-analyses looking at 30 years of resume review, unfortunately, I mean, this is a really good data point, I think, for this day and age, right, especially as we start to really dig into what's causing racial inequity. There's this great study, 30 years of resume review, and back to this point of just changing the name on the resume. So instead of Michael, it's Jamal, right, which is an African American sounding name, the exact same resume, exact same data, nothing else is different. Michael gets 10 interviews, Jamal gets seven, okay? So you're at a 30% disadvantage with the exact same qualifications, just if somebody knows or suspects that you are a, an African-American candidate, right? And that is what we're dealing with today, right? So when we think about recruiting processes and not wanting to introduce bias through algorithms, you've got to ask yourself, well, what's actually happening right now? Is it unbiased? The answer is absolutely not. And again, this is an academic study done by <laughs> academics, not by you know vendors. Um, 30 years of data, and it's remained unchanged. So we can't sit around and think, oh, well, everything's perfect now. And oh, this, you know, AI, it could be problematic, so we have to not adopt it. No, that's not the answer. We have to be very, um, very strict about the type of AI we deploy, but we also have to understand that AI can be helpful. And, you know, as a counterpoint, when we use our artificial intelligence system that has been audited for bias, um, we see basically a much, much better ratio of African-Americans versus white candidates being passed through. Um, not exactly 100%, but but essentially 90% or greater, right? Which is far better than the 70% that we're seeing with resumes. We want to get to 100%, but we have to understand that the processes that the vast majority of companies use right now are are quite problematic and we have to find a solution for them, so. I suppose in some sense, perhaps AI and, and similar, those kind of tools, maybe can deal with some kind of systemic problems that that exist in terms of creating those biases right because i mean some might argue perhaps that by using a tool you're sort of solving the problem at the end as opposed to at its root but i mean maybe there's there's a way that this kind of if once you remove these biases and you enable more people from different backgrounds to be in, in particular places of work you're you're enabling that systemic change yeah well so here's the way that i would look at it right and again i was a cognitive neuroscientist for 10 years before i started Pymetrics. so there's this great book by daniel kahneman called thinking fast and slow and you know there's the fast human thought process and the slow one and you know what kahneman explains is that the thought the, the the slow one is very thoughtful it's very deliberate it's you know so on and so forth that thinking system we can influence in terms of our beliefs around you know race gender and all the rest of it the fast process as you can imagine um is extremely prone to being hijacked by stereotypes biases heuristics and so on right and unfortunately, that's the system that is being used, especially in the first parts of recruiting, right? So when I'm a recruiter and I'm looking at 250 resumes and I have to pick, 
you know, 10% for an interview, I'm spending six seconds on average looking at that resume. That's not the thoughtful, slow thinking system. That's the biased fast one, right? And so, um, and that fast system is not amenable, unfortunately, to training. I mean, so again, a meta-analysis of 15 years of diversity training, unconscious bias training shows it's it's completely ineffective, right? Which makes sense, right? Because this fast thinking system has sort of been tainted or soaked in all of these ideas, you know, that we get through the media and all the rest of it as to what women do versus men or what different, you know, ethnic groups do. And so you're not going to expect that in a four-hour training, you're going to undo decades worth of sort of soaking in societal perceptions. And that's where we can intervene, I think, with technology and with process, right? So we there's a great report called What Works, Iris Bonet and some others were involved in it. It really talks about evidence-based approaches to diversity. And, you know, it's process, it's metrics, it's accountability, it's transparent technology. There are things that work, but we have to know where human intervention is helpful and where it's not. Human intervention is really helpful in the slow, deliberative process. It is not going to help you with that fast process and you have to come up with other tools. Otherwise, you're just kind of, you know, you're going to, you know, you're never going to get further than where we are today. Of course. And I think especially if you're dealing with large senior leadership teams, right, having this kind of a kind of fail safe in place, I suppose, in the form of a tool can can block those instances where where that kind of discrimination might take place. So there's clearly uh, demonstrable use cases for doing so. Uh, and, and as you mentioned before, in the current situation, the reliance on digital tools, tools is clearly growing and in every aspect of what we do as well. Right. So not only when it comes to things like discrimination, but also communicating and, and, and how and how we do that um, in terms of that communication piece I think there's definitely something there around how AI can help to to bolster that and improve those methods of communication uh, particularly on like a large scale how do how do you see that role of, of AI developing in how we communicate how businesses communicate um you know, I think AI can be just, again, I'm just going to go back to the, the notion that AI can be an incredibly helpful tool for uncovering bias, right? So a lot of people are afraid of it or are concerned about it because it has the ability to replicate bias. But I actually view it as a mirror. Like we oftentimes don't know where the biases in our process exist. And this idea of, you know, AI coming to the foreground is actually allowing us to say, holy, Molly, you know, this is where the biases lie and this is what we can do to fix them. Because again, what people don't like about AI, it's not that I will say the AI went off to an AI convention and decided to be biased. No, it said, oh, these humans are doing it this way. Hmm, I should be doing it that way too. So what we really don't like is the human process, right? And the AI is just a mirror to that. So when we think about any process that AI is trying to help with, whether it's communication or whatever the case may be, it's giving us a sort of fantastic opportunity to look at the data, see where the biases are and see where they're being replicated. And that's true of any use of AI, because again, the first thing you should be doing is looking at the data, looking for biases in the data, and then looking for how these algorithms are perpetuating it. I think the concern people have are a number of concerns. One is that individual companies themselves, um, and, and we do see this, and I think it's extremely unfortunate, are not very forthcoming or honest or honest really in terms of what they're doing to mitigate bias. A lot of people are saying bias free, bias free, but they're actually not engaging in any kind of systematic process to do that. And that is really problematic. Um, I think the second thing that we see is just 
you know, people have concerns that there are multiple layers of AI and so, and, and that it's a black box. And therefore as a user, I don't know where I can intervene or what the, where the problem actually lies. So I think there are some real challenges that we can't be blind to. Um, however, I do think that with some guardrails, uh, they can be, they can be addressed. So. Of course, I, I think it's, it's, right now is such a strange time naturally so we have a coronavirus global pandemic we have a huge resurgence in in challenging discrimination where across from one single event that seems to have spread into every single aspect of our lives which which is an amazing thing to see but i think obviously as i think as everybody's saying at the moment predictably the new normal or whatever it looked like it is it, hard to predict right i think from your perspective from looking at how this this rise in the use of digital tools this changing way in the way that we use them to to make changes in your personal lives but also in business how do you envisage this kind of again it's, it's, it's just me phrasing the what do you think the new normal looks like question i suppose <laughs> like but how do you envisage the next this developing after things start to shape into something new again i mean we don't know right i'm hopeful um and again i'm an optimist by nature i'm hopeful that this really produces a reckoning around what are we really doing about racial equity and what can we do because i think right now there's a lot of what i would call performative allyship which is like i'll say i'm an ally but i'm actually not really doing a tremendous amount or again you know i'll be i'll be optimistic and say we still have yet to see what people are doing, right? So I think it it is incumbent upon us to look at what is the situation on the ground? I mean, back to this idea that, you know, humans reviewing resumes are fine. They're not fine. They're just absolutely not fine. And all of the data show that. And if we continue to say, oh, you know, human-centered, human-centered, what does that mean? If the human-centered process is discriminatory, why, why would we want to continue doing that, right? So we have to be the new normal should involve knowing what we're doing now. And I think there are many barriers to that in hiring. And I think it's unfortunate. I think some of them are legal. I think some of them are cultural. I think there's a lot of, you know, a lot of challenges, but I think we have to, trans transparency has to be adopted as part of the new normal, because I think we're never going to change what we don't like until we actually know what it is that we're doing. And I think that that is one of the structural changes that I would love the new normal to involve is greater transparency. And then obviously after the transparency piece comes accountability. So I look at what I'm doing in some part of my business. I see that it's not consistent with my desires for greater racial equity and I then change it. Right. And, but I think that it has to be transparency first and then accountability because you really can't be accountable unless you know what's actually happening. And I think that's just sort of, that's where this performative allyship comes into play is that I'm saying I'm going to do better, but I don't actually know what I'm doing now. Right. Of course, I think that it's something you see a great deal at the minute is definitely I, there is some value, I think, definitely to seeing more people say I, I, I side with this. But there is a danger, of course, that then that's that's it. You know, that if you say, oh, it's enough to do that as, as a as a business leader yourself, in addition to an expert in, in, in this field, how do you feel that, that business leaders, HR leaders ca can just do more to not only say, OK, as a business, we side with, with this particular uh, way of thinking. What can you do to actually make that kind of behavior exist? And it was that that change. How can you how can you make it happen as a business leader from your perspective? More than what I've already said, I mean, I, I really do think it's um, it's knowing what you're doing to begin with, right? Knowing how different parts of your business, whatever part of the business you're dealing with, in our case, it's HR, but it could be anything is actually impacting racial equity. I think that, again, is the, is one of the primary things. Secondly, it's doing something about it if you see something that, that you know, you don't like. Um, and then I think, honestly, the third part is 
I want to say speaking out. I mean, I think that there is a lot of, I mean, you know, especially just in life in general, there's a lot of like, I see something that I don't like, but I'm not going to say anything because X, Y, and Z. And I just don't think we can do that anymore. I think that that, you know, culture of sort of being silent and trying to be nice and not upset anybody. It's like, you know, that's sort of what's gotten us to the place that we're in today. That doesn't mean you have to be mean or obnoxious or anything like that. But I think you have to just say, look, I'm going to, if I think something is not, not, does not have the goals of racial equity um, in mind, and I can show that, I think you have to say something rather than just saying, oh, you know, it's fine. I, we've always done it this way. So. It's a, it's a perfect note to end on, I, I think, Frida. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Absolutely. And uh, I really hope you can uh, join us again soon, hopefully in person when things yeah. are <laughs> slightly more normal. But, uh, Absolutely. Thank you, Frida. Yeah, thank you, Michael.